again, everybody. I don't even know how to follow all that up, so hopefully I don't screw this up. But hey, good morning. Thank you guys for being here. And for all those who are at home sick today, you missed it. Just saying. But we hope you get to feeling better. And uh, here's the deal. Especially with, in regards to what we just like what we just went through, I think this verse is um, actually pretty accurate. In Matthew six twenty one, it says, "For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also." Where's your heart right now? You with me? Like, what direction is your heart pointed in? Is it pointed in the direction of Christ, in the direction of what He has for you, or is it pointed any other way? See, last week we see that Jesus was angry about something. And what was he angry about? He was angry about the hardness of, some, of the religious leader's heart. He was in the synagogue. This man needed healing. And Jesus asked the question. He said, he said which, is, which is better, to do good or evil on, on the Sabbath? And they just stayed silent. It says that he, was, he became angry at the hardness of their heart. And, and my question today is, where is your heart in receiving what Christ has for you? Like even all morning so far, even in the in, even in our worship, it was up. It's, if you I don't know if you noticed, but God has something for you. And what are you? What what, what is it that you, He wants for you that your heart is turned away from? Maybe your heart is hardened toward a healing that you've been, you had prayed for for years. Maybe your heart is hardened toward the toward the maybe the next step that He has for you. But either way, He has something for you. He is waiting for your heart to be softened, to be in full surrender to Him. There's this um, author. Uh, her her name's Leah Bardugo Bardugo, and she wrote she wrote a line in one of her books. Uh, and the book's called Six of Crows, and it's I'll be honest with you, it's a um, it's a fiction book. Okay, um, it's not nothing super spiritual, but there was this line in her book that I read that when I read her book several years ago, this book Six of Crows, um, and just so I, I was reading it because a student at the school asked me to read it with them. And so I was like, sure, I'll do it, and we'll have discussions about it. But in this line, this, this line in this book tore me apart when I read it. And this, this is the line. This is the quote from the book. It says, the heart is an arrow. It demands aim to land true. The heart is an arrow. It demands aim to land true. You have to be intentional with the direction you point your heart. If you point your heart in any other direction besides Christ, you're heading in the wrong direction. If your heart is pointed toward anger or, or deceit, you're in the wrong direction. If your heart, if your arrow is pointed in, in, in the direction of malice or heartache, that's where you will land. That's where you, that's where you will land. The direction you point your heart will be the direction you land. And many of the issues plaguing America today and the culture today and the world today is really it boils down to a heart issue. Nothing else. You with me? Like nothing else but a heart issue. Like, listen, I am not surprised about what happened at the Grammys. You with me? Anybody know what I'm talking about? It was like one big devil worship scene. You with me? Like, I'm not surprised by that. Because that's the direction the culture is in right now. You with me? Like, like all these... Other believers who are like, oh my God, I can't believe that happened. No, no, like, I wasn't surprised about it. That's the, that's the direction their heart's pointed. You with me? But the truth here this morning, I believe Christ is calling us in, these, in the moment of worship today and in the sermon today is to check your heart. 
Check your heart. Where is your heart? Where is your heart? See, maybe the reason that Christ isn't moving in your life is because the direction of the direction your heart is pointed in. Is it hardened about something? Is it given up on something? And Mark and four, it begins actually with this parable concerning the heart. See, many churches for a long time, uh, churches for a long time um, have equated this parable with people who are lost. And it's not true at all. This parable is actually for, the, for us as believers. Like, you realize that the Bible was written to believers, not unbelievers. Like, we are to take his word and turn it into milk for those around us who aren't believers. Like, this was written toward, toward us to teach us how to live and then be a light. You with me? You tracking with me? So this isn't necessarily about lost. I mean, you can apply it to the lost, and it's fine. But that's not its original intent. Its original intent was for us believers. All right? Let me show, let me show you what I mean. Mark 4. Starting in verse 1, it says, Once again, Jesus went to teach the people on the shore of Lake Galilee, and a massive crowd surrounded him. The crowd was so huge that he had to get in a, into a boat and teach the people from the like. Wouldn't it be awesome to run out of so much land that you have to figure out some sort something to do? You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm dreaming of the day when we, we show up to have service on Sunday mornings, and we have to bust out this wall because not everybody can get in here. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm dreaming of that day. Wouldn't this be amazing? Could you imagine being Jesus' followers and it's like, like, Jesus, like, our heels are wet. What are we going to do? Like, we're backed up against the lake and there's thousands of people. What are we going to do? How are they going to hear us? You know what I'm saying? Jesus, like, get a boat. Yeah, that's my kind of guy. You know, get a boat. We're going to boat. All right, but this, this amazes me about the people who surrounded Jesus. Like, they were attracted to him. There was something about him that was attractive. Verse 2 goes on to say, he taught them many things by using parables. And parables are just stories or illustrations, all right, to illustrate spiritual truth, saying, he said this, consider this, a farmer went out to sow seeds. As, as he cast his seeds, some of, some of it fell along the beaten path, and soon the birds came and ate it. Other seeds fell into gravel with no topsoil, and, they, and the seeds quickly sprouted since the soil had no depth. But when the day grew hot... The sprouts were scorched and withered because they had insufficient roots. Other seeds fell, fell among the thorns, so when the seeds sprouted, so did the thorns, crowding out young plants so that, the, so that they could produce no grain. But some of the seeds fell into, in, in, onto, onto good, rich soil that kept producing a good harvest. Some, some yielded 30, some 60, and some even 100 times as much as was planted. If you understand this, then you need to respond. Or some translation says, if you have ears to hear, let them hear. You think? So I'm going to just get this right off the bat. You, like, right off the bat, you are not the sower here. You are not the farmer. You with me? You are not the farmer, but Christ is the messenger of the kingdom of God, the one true messenger of the kingdom of God. Like the farmer, the sower is Jesus, not you. You are not the hero in this story. Just like King David facing Goliath, you are not King David. You with me? Like you are the Israelites. If you go back, like cowarding in the corner, afraid. David is a picture of Jesus, not you. Don't make yourself heroes of the story in the Bible. All right? You with me? Tracking? That's just that's a whole other sermon. But Jesus is the farmer here, the sower. But the different fields here are representatives of different types of our hearts. And some of us, we can have all of the same heart, 
all this in the same heart. You with me? So you, it describes a hard heart, which is a picture of Satan's hold on you. A hollow, a hollow heart, is, it shows a picture of the hold that the flesh has on you. A half heart is a picture of the, of the hold the world has on you. And a whole heart is a picture of one who is held and is rested in Christ. You with me? But here's the thing, as we're getting in, as we dissect all of this, here's the, here's the thing. A whole heart is the only one that, that can bear fruit. Bearing fruit has to do with where your heart is. You with me? If you're in any, any other field other than the rich, whole soil field, that's where your heart is, you're not going to bear fruit. Bearing fruit has to do with where your heart is. Let me show you what I mean. This next passage has always, has, has always interested me, all right? Mark 4.10 says this, Afterward, Jesus, Jesus, his disciples, and those close to him remained behind to ask Jesus about his parable. They were like, what does this parable mean? You with me? Because if, I mean, understandable. And this is what Jesus said to them, The privilege of intimately knowing the mysteries of, God, of God's kingdom realm has been granted to you, but not to others, where everything is revealed in parables. Like, why would Jesus... Say, I'm revealing to some people, but not revealing to others. And here's, here's the truth. There's some people who are just not interested. And he's not, and even though this is the best phrase I can say, like he's like, right now I'm not going to waste my time on those who could care less. But I'm here to reach those who are hungry and thirsty for righteousness. That's why he looks at the religious leaders and says, you know, remember, if you, remember he says, who goes to the doctor, the sick or the well? The sick. I'm here for the sick. I'm going to make sure they receive this word. He said, Then the privilege of intimately knowing the mystery of God's kingdom realm has been granted to you, but not to the others where everything is revealed in parables. For even when they see what I do, they will not understand. And when they, and when, and when they hear what I say, they will learn nothing. Otherwise, they would repent and be forgiven. Like if you hear the truth of God's word and you don't repent, then you're not an acceptor of God's truth. You with me? For even when they see what I do, they will not understand. And when they and when and when they hear what I say, they will learn nothing. Otherwise, they will repent and be forgiven. Then he said to them, "If you don't understand this parable, how will you understand any parable?" And he goes on to say, "Let me explain." The farmer sows the word as a seed, and what falls on the beaten path represents those who hear. Be, falls on the beaten path represents those who hear the word, but immediately Satan appears and snatches it from their hearts. So the, this goes way back to Genesis, to Genesis three. You with me? That when we when we have a command or a, or a truth from God, Satan tries to come in and manipulate. Genesis three one says. Now the serpent was more crafty than than other beasts of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say? And that's the same tactic that Satan is using today. Did God really say? Did God really mean? You may hear it like this in today's culture. Well, maybe that was written because it was, you know, too... 2,000 years ago. That doesn't fit our culture today. Like, 
God, it may have been true then, but it not, may not necessarily be true now. You, you heard that argument? You with me? The same thing Satan has always used. Satan, see, here's the deal. Satan already has the hearts of unbelievers. You with me? That's why I'm not surprised about what happened at the Grammys or whatever happens in the media. You with me? No matter what your opinion on all that is, like it doesn't surprise me. He's always been a deceiver. Did God really say? Did God really say? He already has the hearts of unbeliever, uh, the unbelieving world. That's why he's so attracted to attacking you because he wants your heart. He wants your heart. See, Satan is a deceiver who attacks your mind with lies. Did God really say? Did God really tell you to do that? Did God really mean this for you? Satan is a deceiver who attacks your mind with lies. It's why, it's why Paul would write to us in Romans, in Romans 12 too, he says, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. For your heart to be changed, you have to change the way you think. That's why I love the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the, in the fiery furnace. Like they knew they were going to be facing the flames for their belief. And, the, and, he said, and they, they said, standing before, before the king, he, they, he, they said, we know that our God is the one who can deliver us from this. But here's, here was their mindset. But even if he doesn't, he is still God. How, how would you face a fiery furnace situation? You have to change the way, way your mind works by renewing your mind. Like the, He's going to fill your mind with lies. Did God really say that? Can that really be true for the 21st century? Because I mean, let's be real. Truth is truth. It's truth throughout eternity. You with me? Nothing changes. Like if he's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, that means his, his, his word never changes. You with me? You not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by renewal of your mind. By testing, you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Renew your mind that renews your heart, and it will set the direction you go. It's also why the writer of Hebrew, I mean, Proverbs says this, for as he thinks, or as a man thinks within himself, so is he. How you think determines the path in which you take. But here's the deal. Satan tries to make you question the goodness of God. You with me? He starts by attacking the good. If, if God was so good to you, then why would you be going through this situation? If God was so good, if God was so good, why would that have happened? You hear that when, when disasters happen. Well, if there's a loving God, then why would this, why would he allowed this to happen. You with me? See, here's the deal. He makes you question the goodness of God and, his, and, and question his will for your life. And when you start to question the goodness of God, it's easier to disobey the will of God. If you can start questioning the goodness of God, it's easier to disobey the will of God. Tracking with me? He is a deceiver who attacks your mind with lies makes you question the goodness of God. So that you can disobey the will of God. But he goes on to say this. So don't be like don't have a heart that is hardened. 
that the Satan, that Satan can just come snatch from your field the seed that God is laying out before you. Verse 16 says, The seed sown on, gra- on gravel represents those who hear the word and receive it joyfully, but because their hearts fail to sink a deep uh, hearts fail to sink a deep root into the word, they don't endure for long. For when trouble or persecution comes on account of the of the of the word, they immediately wilt and fall away. You immediately wilt and fall away. This is a hollow heart. It's one who cares more about self and their pleasure than what matters most. They say, yeah, yeah, this is, that is truth, that is so truth, but it doesn't change anything about their lives. They don't allow that truth to change them because it doesn't fit their own narrative. It doesn't fit what they want. You tracking? It never changes them. They, they are prisoners to themselves and their faith is shallow. Tracking with me? Shallow faith allows us to allows us to be moved by any storm by, and by any whim of the culture. And I want you to write that down, even though there's a typo in it. When, when, okay, shallow faith allows us to be moved by any storm and by the whim of culture, because they are they are they are more we are more concerned by the acceptance of others rather than God. Listen, if your faith. Or, or your beliefs are not rooted in God's word, and if you if it's tossed back and forth by every movement of culture, your faith isn't in the one who can sustain you. Your faith is in something else. Your faith is not in the sustainer of life. Your faith is in what in whatever culture has for you, and it will not sustain you. Why? Because their truth is always changing. One week it's this, another week it's this, another person says this, like. It's constantly changing, but we have a God who's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. That means that that means like He is dependable. He is dependable. Listen, if your faith line and here's the deal: if your faith lines up more with what culture preaches, preaches and listen, I love you, I love you to death. So this is coming from a place of love. But if your faith lines up more with what culture preaches than the Word of God, you need to check your heart and find out where your faith is. Honestly. Mark 4, 18 says this. And the seed uh, sown among thorns represents those who hear the word. But they, but they allow the cares of this life and the seduction of wealth and the desires of other things to crowd out and choke the word so that it produces nothing. It produces nothing. This is a half heart. It's one who, want, who wants to have one foot in heaven and one foot in the world. You hear me? And you can't have both. The call to be a follower of Jesus is a call to be all in and nothing else. All in. And I'll say this, if you are not all in, then you're all out. There's no halfway. You with me? I say that lovingly. But you have to be fully surrendered to Christ. In fact, that's why John wrote in Revelation 3.15 when he says, I know all that you do, and I know that you are neither frozen in apathy nor fervent with passion. How I wish you were either one or the other, but, but because, because you are neither cold nor hot, but lukewarm, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Like he's saying, I'd rather you not be a Christian than say you're a Christian and not be fully in. Like you disgust, you're a disgusting taste in his mouth. 
Like, Derek, that's a little harsh for God to say. Well, he said it, and it's the truth. You know what I'm saying? Like, I had some cold food the other day, and I was like, this tastes so much better warm, and I spit it out. You know what I'm saying? And I put it back in the microwave. <laughs> you have to be fully surrendered to Christ. But John goes on to tell the church here and really goes on to tell us it's a call of repentance. Turn back around and point your heart in the direction of Jesus, your first love. In a heart that is repentant, it says that God is ready to assume full responsibility for the life wholly yielded to him. Listen, that should make you breathe a little bit. Because if your life is fully yielded, if your heart is fully yielded to him, fully surrendered to him, guess whose responsibility is for it to grow and, to, harp and to, to produce a harvest? Not yours. You can go, it's all you. And he, he never fails on his responsibilities. Never. Never. God is ready to assume full responsibility for the life wholly yielded to him. How do I know this? Let's look at this next part. It says, But the seed sown on good soil, or in, in a whole heart, one that's rested in Christ, represents those who, who open their hearts to receive the word, and their lives bear good fruit. Some yield a harvest of 30, 60, even 100 times, more than, what, than, more than was sown. That's awesome. Loved it. The baby's way of saying Amen. This is a heart fully surrendered, one who bears fruit. But here's a, here's a, here's a deal. Again, who's in charge of, the, of bearing fruit? Who's the one who assumes all responsibility for what happens with a heart fully surrendered to him? It's Jesus. Here's why. Matthew 9, 38. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest. Who's the Lord of the harvest? Jesus. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Christ is Lord over the harvest in your life. He is the one that cultivates. He is the one that he is the one that prunes. He is the one that waters. He is the one that does all of that, not you. You with me? Like it's His responsibility. A heart fully yielded to Him. He is the Lord of your harvest, and it's when our hearts are fully surrendered to Him. It's when your heart is fully surrendered that miracles can happen. And I'm not just talking about deaf deaf people hearing and. Some sort of I'm, I'm talking about maybe in some of those dark spots in your heart. Like he's the only one that can heal those dark places in your heart. But he goes on to say, he also gave them this parable: No one lights a lamp under lamp only to place it under a basket or under the bed. It is meant to be placed on a lampstand, shining bright for the world. For there is nothing that is hidden that won't be. Disclosed, and there is no secret that won't be brought out, brought out into the light. You're, you cannot hide what's in your heart. You may think you can. You may think people don't know. You may think God doesn't know. But guess what? We know, and God knows. You with me? Like when people say, "Hey, how are you doing today?" And it's not just because they are asked. Like a lot of times, people can tell like there's something wrong with it with that person. You with me? Like there's nothing hidden. And one reason we know that is because we're all screwed up. All of us. It's me too. We're all screwed up. You can't hide what's in your heart. You can't hide what's in your heart. 
Uh, old pastor used to say it like this to me, your sins will find you out. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Trust me, they do. They do. They do. He goes on to say in verse 23, if you understand what I'm saying, you need to respond, or if you have ears to hear, let them hear. Then he said to them, be diligent to understand the meaning behind everything you hear. Like be studious of the things that you hear God saying to you. For as you do, more understanding will be given to you. And according to the depth of your longing to understand, much more will be added to you. But those who listen and open with open hearts will receive more revelation. But those who don't listen with open hearts will lose what little they think they have. One commentator, like, commentating this from the Greek, it actually, um, it actually says they will, <laughs> they will lose what they think they have. You know what I'm saying? Like, they, they think they're good, but they're not. It's like, I think that was the whole argument with the religious leaders of that day with Jesus. Like, you, th- you say you have this, but you really don't. You know what I'm saying? It, you may be able to act this way, do this thing, whatever, but you don't have the real thing. But for those who listen with open hearts will receive more revelation, but those who don't listen, listen with open hearts will lose what little, little they think they have. Jesus also told them this parable, God's kingdom realm is like someone spreading seed on the ground. Here we are back on the, in the field again. He goes to bed and gets up day after day, and the seed sprouts and grows tall, though he knows not how. All by itself it sprouts, and the soil produces a crop. First, the green stem, then the, then the head head on the stalk, and then the fully developed grain in the head. Then when the grain is ripe, he immediately puts the sickle to the ground because harvest time has come. There's something that's growing inside of you that it's about harvest time. You're about to bear fruit if your heart is fully yielded to him. And he told them this parable. How can I, I describe God's kingdom realm? Let me illustrate it with this parable, it's like a mustard seed, the tiniest of all seeds. Yet when it springs up and grows, it becomes the largest plant in the garden. And with so many enormous spreading branches, even birds can nest in its shade. This is talking about a fruitful heart, one that is wholly surrendered. Even though as small as faith may seem, it can grow into something large and beautiful if you just fully surrendered to Jesus. Like other things, like other people will rest in your harvests. If you, if like, you'll be a place of refuge for people to point people to Jesus. Jesus used many parables such as these, such as these, as he taught the people, and they learned according to their ability to understand. He never, he never spoke to them without using parables, but would wait until they were alone before he explained their meaning to his disciples. Now Mark is about to show us an example of a heart issue that he just described Jesus, Jesus explaining to them in, in this par- these parables. So Mark 4.35, it says this, Later that day, after he told all these parables, after it grew dark, and some of us have found ourselves in a dark place, Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross over to the other side of the lake. 
right? Now, we know. I mean, if I was a disciple of Jesus at some point when he would say, hey, we're going to get on the water and go to the other side, it would be like, nah, can we just take land? Because every time you tell us, hey, let's cross over the water, we encounter something that we, like, you with me? <laughs> but this is what happens. After they had sent the crowd away, they, they, they shoved off from the shore with him. As he had been teaching from the boat, and, and there, there, were, there were other boats that sailed with him. And sick as it, so people didn't really go home. They're like, we're going wherever you go. That's, that, that's a, I mean, that alone is a great message in and of itself. Wherever you go, I'll go. Wherever you send me, I'm going. As they were crossing the lake, a ferocious tempest arose with violent winds and waves that were crashing into the boat until it was all but swamped. <laughs> but Jesus was calmly sleeping in the stern, resting on a cushion. Imagine the disciples, like, I'd be mad, like, you get up and help us? We're about to drown out here. Boat's about to capsize. Like, remember the time when me and Anthony was on a boat, and it was like, piss pouring rain in, and we get to the end, and the water's rough, and he goes, we can go fast and die, or go slow and die. And I said, well, if we're going to die, let's do it fast. <laughs> so he starts speeding, I swear I came 20 feet off the seat. I don't know how I landed back in my seat. Um, I mean, I, I mean, I think our feet was up in the air, and I was holding on to the handle like. Uh, you know. uh, and he didn't tell me to bring like this is before I had wore my paintball mask, and he has his little helmet on. We're going 100 miles there. I am getting peed with, like, it's like needles going in my eye. I was like, I'm go- this is the moment we're going to die. Where are you, Jesus? Oh, you're sleeping in the boat. Thanks, Savior of the world. So this is what they do. They they shook him awake. Teacher, don't you even care that we're all about we're all about to die? And how we and how we act sometimes. Like God, you not see me right now. Like I'm at death's door. Like if I don't get through this situation, like where are you? Like are you asleep? Like are you ignoring my prayer? Teacher, don't you even care that we're all about to die? Fully awake. He rebuked the storm and shouted to the sea, Hush, calm down. And all at once the wind stopped howling and the water became perfectly calm. Now this is the point where they understand that he is a God who can control nature. But overall he can control the storm that's in your life. Like in that moment if I was a disciple I would have been like, Oh, my bad. (laughs) Like, I should have never questioned it, but, like, I'm just sitting there going, like, how many times are we in the middle of the storm and we're asking Jesus, do you even care? Forgetting everything else that he's done in our past. But we've allowed our hearts to be deceived by Satan, him saying, did God really say he would take care of you in the storm? Did God really say he would give you your healing? Did God really say that he cares about your life? Did God really say, you with me, Trey? Maybe Jesus is just waiting for you to say, I'm letting it go. I'm fully surrendered to you. I know you care. Will you take care of it? 
He's waiting to say the words to your storm, whatever you're going through. Hush, calm down. It says, all at once the wind stopped. No howling and the water became perfectly calm. Where, where is their heart? They were influenced by what was around, around then instead of allowing their hearts to be set on the one who was in the boat with them. See, our enemy wants to convince us and deceive our hearts into thinking that Christ is not there when the storms arise, when temptation arises. But the truth is, is, is that Satan is not the one in the boat. Jesus is. And you never have to be defined by the circumstances around you when your heart is surrendered to Christ. The water may be raging. Your boat may be tossing back and forth. Your feet may be straight up in the air in the middle of your storm. And you're hanging on for dear life. But you have one in the boat with you that can control the storm. And it's waiting for you to surrender control. You never have to be defined by your circumstances. You can be defined by the one who's in the boat with you. And he can look at your situation and tell him to shut up. Verse 39. So they shook him awake saying, Teacher, don't you, don't you even care that we are, we are all about to die? Fully awake, he rebuked the storm and, and shouted to the sea, Hush, calm down. Now at once the wind stopped howling and the water became perfectly calm. And these are, I, I never want to hear Jesus say these words to me. And he turned to his disciples and said to them, Why are you so afraid? Haven't you learned to trust yet? It says, they were overwhelmed with fear and awe and said to one another, who is this man who has such authority that even the wind and the waves obey him? Their heart in the middle of their storm was pointed or aimed in the direction of fear instead of the one who has all control. So the question this morning is, where is your heart pointed? Because if it's pointed in any other direction than Jesus, your faith is in something else. If your heart is pointed in anything else this world has to offer you, or a person that has to offer you, or whatever, it doesn't matter, your faith is in the wrong thing. Point your heart in the direction of your healing and your healer. And start walking in that direction. Whatever that healing is for you. God, thank you for giving us the opportunity to be here this morning. And I pray for my heart. And I pray for the hearts of people here, God, that they are pointed in the direction of you. That they are pointed in the direction of you. That wherever you are, wherever you want them to point, whatever healing needs to take, that's where their heart is. Is pointed, may the arrow of their heart be pointed in you.